Hello, and welcome to Character in Action, the official podcast for the Seven Degrees of Change Foundation. My name is Matthew J. Norcross, and I'll be your host as we have the privilege of talking with decision makers from our community and beyond who are living examples of the character traits of the seven degrees of change, which are empathy, respect, responsibility, fairness, trustworthiness, caring, and citizenship. These guests are willing to come in and explain how they live and show others by example to be a phoenix. These character traits serve as a basis of a book series I authored called The Phoenix, as well as a correlating character education curriculum developed in association with High Point University. Today's guest is Christian Castelli, a father, military veteran, and small business owner. His wife is the superintendent of a local charter school, and together they have one daughter. This is a special format for the podcast as the first portion was recorded in studio in the fall of 2022 when Colonel Castelli was running for an unsuccessful bid for U.S. Congress, which serves as an important lesson of how a true reflection of character is in how one acts when they do not get the prize. The second portion was recorded post-election via telephone. Christian, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Matthew. Happy to be here. All right. So if you don't mind, please give us some more background on who you are in addition to being a congressional candidate for 2022 and why are you running for Congress? Sure, my pleasure. Well, as you stated, uh, I am a retired Army Green Beret Lieutenant Colonel. I spent 21 years and 11 months serving my country. Uh, That service took me to about 20 different countries, 14 deployments to hostile fire zones. I spent three years in combat. I have a bachelor's degree in political science and government, a master's degree in public administration from Harvard University. I have been an advisor to the Secretary of Defense at the Pentagon. I've also served as a White House Senate and congressional liaison and an inspector general. Uh, I've commanded thousands of troops on the battlefield. And as you said, uh, when I retired, I was a veterans advocate, a small business owner. But the most important jobs I've ever held was being a husband and a father to my three children. Very nice. So your family has a long history of serving in the military. And one of the core tenets of serving in the military is respect. The book Cameron's Crayons teaches all about this trait. How do you think we can rekindle this lost star in our culture? Well, I think respect starts with our families as a young age. Uh, You know, hopefully you have a family unit and Mm -hmm. adult supervision and and maybe possibly older siblings that uh, teach you the value of respect at your in your home. And so I think it starts with your parents. And then as you progress through life, that value is reinforced in schools with teachers in your K-12 education, potentially at the university level. And then as a young adult uh, with laws and rules that you need to follow in society. And then, you know, beyond that, uh, potentially your faith uh, in whatever religion or, you know, creed that you may pursue. You know, I think that's another place where respect can be reinforced. And so for me, you know, essentially uh, it's having respect for your fellow man. And uh, even if their opinions differ from yours, um, it's having the ability to have civil discourse. It seems to be a lost art, certainly in politics these days. But uh, I've, you know, pledged to work with people in my political career in the future from both sides of the aisle and have civil discord, even if we may not ultimately agree on something. But respect my fellow man to have a civil conversation on these subjects. Exactly. Now, 
father, husband, soldier, employer, you're the epitome of responsibility, a character trait prevalent in the book Nehemiah's Playroom. How do we instill this character trait in a society where everyone gets a trophy? Well, you know, throughout my military career, you hear the expression that rank has its privilege. The reality of that is rank has its responsibility. And so uh, I've been ultimately responsible for the lives of thousands of soldiers over the course of my career, as much the way I am responsible for my children. And uh, instilling responsibility um, in society and and a core set of values, again, it begins at a young age. And so I think people should teach their children uh, small things, you know, like caring for a pet doing chores, those things, you know, ultimately responsibility starts at a very young age, teaching that character trait in people. And uh, they can, it starts in the home with the family again. And, uh, and then, you know, you see it in school when you have the responsibility as a student to do homework every night. Right. And so it's, it's laying some sort of task on you that you then have to fulfill for whatever reason. Exactly. So you've been in war and put in positions where you have literally had people's lives in your hands. That's no greater test of fairness, which is taught in the book Taking Turns. Can you give us some examples of how you define fairness? Yeah, so I'm, I'm an ultimate believer in a meritocracy. You reap the rewards of hard work. You know, a meritocracy is where people have the same opportunity to achieve success And success should be based on their ability to put in the hard work, whereby only the highest and most successful people should achieve or be rewarded that success. And so to me, that's the ultimate example of fairness in society. That's a good way to put it. So there's another book in this series that teaches trustworthiness called Satomi's Doll. How do you define trustworthiness? How do you live it out? How can you instill it in others? I think trustworthiness is the ability to be relied upon, to be honest and truthful. Personal example would be uh, having moral and ethical courage. I've always uh, tried to do the right thing, even when the right thing may have been difficult and when nobody was watching. To me, that's the ultimate trustworthiness, when you can do the right thing at all times, when, even when it doesn't matter on the simplest task. You know, For example, walking past a piece of trash on the ground. We used to test our soldiers all the time. I can remember uh, our command sergeant major putting a Coke can out in the courtyard, and he would write something with a Sharpie marker on it. And it would say, if you, if you pick this can up and throw it in the trash, come and see sergeant major. And he would reward the soldier with a, a couple-day pass. And so it was sort of a thing, you know, to test soldiers to see if they are living the Army values, picking up trash and doing the right thing when nobody was— <laughs> was watching as a, an example of trust, trustworthiness, and uh, they'd be rewarded for it, even when it didn't matter on the simplest task. That's a great story. So in the book, Bet's Knee, we learned about the trait of caring. Seeing the pictures of you on the battlefield, the immediate image is one of the ultimate warrior giving his all for his country. Can you expand on how your service is an act of caring? Well, I will tell you this, that I love my country, and I love my country so much that I was willing to sacrifice my life for it for over two decades. 
and I watched a lot of my fellow soldiers give their last full measure of devotion. They loved their country that much, and they loved their fellow soldiers that they were willing to die for them in battle. And unfortunately, I've had the opportunity to witness that on many occasions during the course of my career. And so, again, I think, um, sorry to get choked up thinking about this, but when you think about soldiers dying on the battlefield, sort of the ultimate sacrifice made for their fellow man, there's no greater example of caring for one another than that. That's a great way to put it. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Now, you've been in Bell serving our country as a Green Beret, the ultimate sign of citizenship, which is a trait taught in the book Cameron's Vote. Can you tell us what it means to be a good citizen? Yeah, I think being a good citizen means being a good representative of any organization in which you represent, be it your country, your state, your municipality, your church, whatever organization, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. Uh, it's always doing the right thing and representing your organization well so that you would be a, a good, productive member of society, a good, productive citizen and member of that organization, befitting whatever the goals of that organization. And finally, the first book in this series is called Helping Jackie, which teaches the trait of empathy. You've seen and experienced hardships that very few Americans can comprehend, situations that put you firmly in other shoes, which is a very important aspect of empathy. Tell me about this. So I want to share a war story with you from Somalia in 1993. I think uh, most listeners have probably seen the movie Black Hawk Down. And so I was in Somalia as a platoon leader in 1993. And on the missions in the beginning of the movie, uh, they have some subtitles that lead up to the incident on 3-4 October, which was almost, uh, you know, the anniversary last week. One of the experiences I had as a platoon leader, uh, we were going on uh, cordon and search missions, and we were searching for the weapons that the militias were using to attack the relief convoys of food that were being sent by the UN to feed the starving people in Somalia. And, and during those missions, they would have these large 50-pound bags of rice. And some of the Somali militia folks would love to hide hand grenades in the bags of rice. Wow. And so we would search them with metal detectors. You know, every now and then, a metal detector would go off, and we would have to pour the bag of rice out. And so one day, I caught my soldiers pouring the rice into the dirty, sandy dirt floors. And it was going to make it almost impossible to recover that rice to then put back in the bag so those people could then feed their families with it. And so, uh, you know, while we had a mission to accomplish, at the same time, I was empathetic toward these folks that were starving. We're there to help them. And yet here we are trying to accomplish a mission whereby maybe causing them future problems where they wouldn't be able to feed their family by pouring the rice in the dirt. And so we, you know, I put out a policy that if they had to empty the rice bags to pour it on a blanket or a piece of cardboard or something that they could easily recover it, we could accomplish our mission while being empathetic to their cause, uh, which was basically uh, being able to feed their families. So um, how do you define character? Character is the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. Uh, I think they can be both positive in attributes and something to look up to and emulate. Uh, an example would be, you know, honesty, faithfulness, hardworking. Uh, and then 
People can have negative character attributes, uh, also known as character flaws. Uh, people can be liars. They can be dishonest. They can be lazy. Right. So, uh, you know, those are some examples of negative character flaws. But for the most part, uh, it's mental and moral qualities that are distinctive to one's uh, individual character. So um, please tell us the story of witnessing either in person or in history, someone that was a true phoenix, someone that was a role model leading by example and making the world a better place. Sure. Well, there's a lot of good role models that I could pick fun from, but uh, I think uh, given my military background, I will draw on somebody who played a big part in shaping our military and our country uh, in the post-World War II environment. And so I would have to say George C. Marshall, who was an American army officer and statesman who rose to the rank of five-star general. He was also the chief of staff of the army um, under two presidents and then served as the secretary of state and secretary of defense. He is largely been credited for the being the organizer of the victory in Europe on the allied victory in World War II. And so I think he is the perfect role model to uh, cite as an example of uh, a true phoenix who made the world a better place. Um, you know, he certainly, he led the uh, U.S. economic and uh, political commitments in post-war Europe. Uh, he was one of the architects of what we now refer to as the Marshall Plan that bore his name. And uh, more recently, um, there's a center for leadership that bears his name also in Europe called the George C. Marshall European Center for Security Studies. And so I can think of no better person than General George C. Marshall to highlight as a true phoenix. Yeah, George C. Marshall is, I think, if, for any listener out there who wants to um, learn more about George C. Marshall, look him up. He has a very inspiring story. Now, Please share with us a moment that stands out in your something big or even the slightest gesture was a transformative Phoenix moment, one where you know it has significant impact on an individual site or on a group of people. Sure. Uh, this is a tough one, but uh, once again, I have to go back. I commanded a lot of troops, uh, thousands of troops over the course of my uh, two-decade military career. Um, it, but of all those assignments, I would have to say the one that I had the biggest impact on the largest group of people was when I was a captain. Uh, I was 27 years old, and I was a company commander of a basic training and advanced individual training, AIT company at Fort Benning, Georgia. And uh, this job uh, entailed getting new recruits every 13 weeks and putting them through Army's basic infantry training uh, and then advanced individual training for five weeks. So it was eight weeks of basic, five weeks of AIT uh, to produce a fully qualified infantryman capable of being a member of a squad in a infantry platoon in the United States Army. 
And um, we would get, uh, it was all male environment. And we would get soldiers and recruits from every walk of life, every race, color, creed, religion, socioeconomic background uh, would report to basic training. And we would have 13 weeks to turn them from a civilian to a soldier and a member of a cohesive fighting unit capable of integrating anywhere in the United States Army. And uh, we train their bodies, their minds to act and think a certain way. And we spent a lot of time instilling the Army values. And I think I may have spoke about the Army values on our previous call, but um, I just want to reiterate them now. The Army values, uh, there's an acronym that we use to remember them. It makes it a little bit easier. The Army likes to use acronyms. And the acronym is R Childs. And so the R is for respect. Uh, the C is for courage. H is for honor. The I is for integrity. The L is for loyalty. D is for discipline. And the S is for selfless service. And so uh, you never know what type of background a recruit is going to come from. And so if they grew up in an environment that did not teach them a core set of values, we spent a lot of time teaching them the Army values if they had none. And uh, I was proud to say that uh, I put through uh, eight classes of 250 soldiers each. Um, from from raw recruit to United States Army, eleven Bravo infantrymen, and at the end of thirteen weeks, I did not pass soldiers on that I would not have wanted in my platoon and been proud to command and serve with. And so, uh, I'd have to say that that's an example uh, taken from my very long military career where I had the most uh, transformative uh, impact on uh, people's lives and uh, a large group of people. And I will tell you that, um, you know, I just ran a political campaign and uh, I got a phone call a couple of weeks ago from one of the recruits that I had put through basic training years and years ago, and he had just reached his 20-year retirement. And uh, he had seen my name on the television in my political ad and reached out to me. And as it turns out, his parents live right down the road here. And they also reached out to me. They remembered me and the impact that I had on their son's life uh, back in, we're talking 1996, 97 timeframe. Wow. That's an amazing story. So last time you were, last time we talked, you were running a big ad campaign for Congress. Tell us about, um, tell us about that. Yeah, so, uh, well, here we are 14 months later. Uh, we ran for Congress in District 6 of North Carolina, which was the Guilford, uh, Rockingham, Caswell, Forsyth counties area in the middle of the state. Uh, the three major municipalities were High Point, North Carolina, um, Greensboro and Winston-Salem would be the three largest cities in the right. district. And uh, we ran a seven-way primary. I was fortunate enough to win 
uh, in the primary and be the Republican nominee for Congress in District 6. And since May, we have been running in the general election. Uh, I'm sad to report that, unfortunately, we did not prevail uh, mm -hmm. in the general election. However, we did win uh, by 5,000 votes on Election Day. And when the absentee ballots were tallied, we ended up losing the race. And so um, I think it's important to uh, be a gracious winner and a gracious loser, uh, if you can be, and uh, to hold your head high. I'm proud of the job and the race that we ran. I'm proud of my team. I think we ran a race with integrity and, and dignity. And uh, uh, it's not over. We will probably run again, and this will serve as a great foundation and, and uh, a learning tool for us to expand upon in the future, uh, in a future race. Chris, thank you for joining me. And more importantly, thank you for your service. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Matthew. All right. And thank you for listening. I'm Matthew J. Norcross, and always remember, everyone can be a phoenix.